Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, plan for today. Great, great interview coming up with the Paul Feinbaum. The stories that he told that I had never heard before. Great, great stuff from Paul. Very casual conversation with the legend himself. And we are going to be debuting a new segment. That's right. New segments called What Was I Thinking? Some great stories from us. Digging into stories from our youth, wherein we look back with just a little bit of regret. But first, what does it mean for Texas to be back? It is a tale as old as time. Will, when you hear that, what is your initial thought just to the subject in general of what does it mean for Texas to be back? Um, well, when I hear that, I think of the Notre Dame game with old boy yelling, Texas is back, and me like, you know, laughing about that. But I, I think that Texas is a brand that should be competing for national titles. I think that that's what success should be for that brand. You are exactly right. It it goes back to the Notre Dame game. Alex Kirshner wrote about this for SB Nation a few years ago. The phrase, Texas is back, the origins of it, does stem from that season opening game against Notre Dame that was September 4th, 2016, a.k.a. our wedding day, ironically enough. And I will never forget being in my old college bar, shout out Kilroy's, it was after our wedding, Everybody is quite inebriated at this point, but because it's a Sunday night in a college bar, you're like, there's one thing that's going to be on. It's going to be Texas Notre Dame. And it was this wild game, of course, that you're like kind of half dialed into half not. And then, of course, when you see a bunch of people reacting to it, you have that that natural reaction. And I'll I'll, I'll never forget the tweet from SportsCenter. SportsCenter tweeted, Texas is back, folks. Mm hmm. Man, did they. Uh, Texas, of course, went on to go 5-7 and seven that year. They missed a bowl game. Texas, since that play, wherein SportsCenter declared that Texas was back, is 39-37 and 37 against Power 5 competition. Not great. Not back. Not ideal. So I thought it'd be fun to revisit this. The fact that this is still a question, what does it mean for Texas to be back, tells us, in fact, that Texas is not back. I don't think anybody would push back on that, even the most loyal of Texas fans. Sam Ellinger's post-Sugar Bowl moment after beating Georgia did not prove to be the case that Texas was back because one game doesn't make a program back. And even the context of that season kind of tells you about where Texas was. All you need to know about the bravado of Texas football since Alabama buried it in pretty much, what was it? End of, yeah, end of the 2009 season. Mm-hmm. Um, the now famous, infamous, we'll call it, we're back comments from Texas, from Sam Ellinger. It came on the heels of a four loss season. Bad, really bad. For Texas, a program that has won a national title this century, who has been to multiple championship games. During a time in which your average fan probably remembers college football really well, we should have been, at the time, far more skeptical about a we're back comment when it came in the heat of the moment. So that's what I want to do today. I want to get out ahead of this stuff. I like getting out ahead of things, getting out ahead of narratives before they form and we have no idea what to do with it. Because at some point this year, we could get a huge Texas moment and all of a sudden everyone is declaring that Texas is back because it's a fun thing to do. If if Texas goes into Tuscaloosa and beats Bama week two, I'm just saying it. I'm not saying I think that's going to happen. But if that happens, you can just close your eyes and picture this world. Tell me you can't picture this. 
every place that talks about college football without any sort of nuance, not to name any names, you know who they are. They are going to use that one game in week two, wherein we know next to nothing about the season that's going to unfold. Just like in week one, when Texas did that thing on that Sunday night against Notre Dame. Imagine Brian Kelly just blowing a Sunday night game in week one, you know, on the last play. Who would have thought he could do such a thing? I, I, I would have declared Brian Kelly will never do this again. That will never, ever happen. But, okay, so you know that if that happens, the declaration will be made that beating Bama is a sign that Texas is back. Okay? They will bring up the fact that, whoa, Bama hasn't lost a non-conference game at home since 2007? What? This, I mean, they'll make no mention of the fact that uh, Bama hasn't played a non-conference home game against a power five team since what was it? Penn state. Um, yeah. Penn state, like what? 13 years ago. Um, they'll make no mention of the fact that you can actually beat Bama on the regular season and still not even go to a new year six game. 2022 LSU, 2021 Texas A&M, 2019 Auburn, just to name a few. It's happened before. It'll probably happen again. And Sure. Like I get it. You could say that it's different to do it in Tuscaloosa. You could bring up that whole Louisiana Monroe thing. I totally get it, but it just kind of shows the lack of nuance that a lot of these black and white discussions about Texas being back will fail to mention. I get it though. I get it. I really do. It is fun to have that sort of take because it's almost, it's like long-term confirmation bias. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, we we talk about confirmation bias in in the in like the middle of the season a lot, and when certain teams that are that, that that we think, oh hey, this team wasn't supposed to be doing anything, and then the first time that they lose a game or something like that, or you know, Ole Miss dealt with that last season. It's like oh, Ole Miss finally loses a game, and it's like oh okay, see this is who they really were, and blah blah blah. And we sort of take comfort in confirmation bias on both sides of the spectrum. I don't know why we do that, but we just do the, um, the college football is better when Texas is great. That line, you know, I hate that. I oh, yeah. hate that. Oh, that means the person saying that is either referring to the Vince young days or the, when they were racist days. Um, there are two options. Good call there, Cotter. Exactly. Two options. Go back and look, there are two options to make that declaration. If it's the former, like the Vince Young days, the 2000s, and we're going back to when Mac Brown always had a team that was in the hunt for the title. We're talking about 10 consecutive top 15 finishes from 2000 to 2009. It is a legitimate heyday. It is really hard to do that for a stretch of one decade. That's the bare minimum for Texas, though, to be considered this program that is competing, to be holding that standard on a yearly basis. Since then, Texas only has one top 15 finish, and it concluded with the aforementioned Sam Ellinger we're back comment. Of course, I will give Sam Ellinger credit for this. He at least waited until a season was over to declare Texas was back. Losing four games and declaring a proud program is back. Is not my thing? Maybe somebody else likes to do that. I don't know, but I can at least respect the fact that it wasn't some mid-season take just because Texas crawled into the top 10. When was the last time that Texas played a game as a top 10 team? Do you know this answer off the top of your head? AP top oh, man, 10. as a top 10 team, because they don't even get to the point where they get the preseason love anymore. I'm going to say it was like 2013. It was actually 2020, but it's it should have wow. an asterisk 
because of the COVID, the COVID late starts was weird. The Big 12 and the ACC started before, you know, the SEC and then, you know, the Pac-12 and Big 10 decided that they actually did want to play football after all. So the, the rankings were weird. So I don't they had know. like a ranked game against Billy Napier too. I remember that. That was just chaos. Well, that was, uh, so that was 2021. Well, yeah, that was 2021. So that mm-hmm. was the year, the year after that. But even then, Texas wasn't, wasn't quite getting that, that right. top 10 love. Um, but yeah, Texas, of course, in 2020 started off two and two. That did not last very long. Typical Texas way, uh, with the, the non-conference. Well, not, I shouldn't say non-conference stuff because they, they weren't playing, you know, the, the normal non-conference schedule, but they always find a way to lose those early season games. 2019, Texas was a top 10 team to start on the heels of the we're back comment. Then they shot a cannon through Joe Burrow's jersey during college game day. Joe Burrow did Joe Burrow things in the LSU section that was placed on the moon that day, took over the entire stadium. You remember this well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Horns down, Clyde waving at the crowd, Joe Burrow's dad. Great day. That dumb steer Bevo didn't know what hit him. He didn't. He got got. He did. It ends up being a five-loss season for Texas. Texas confirmed not back. So when was the last time? that Texas played a game as an AP top 10 team after the month of October. Month of October. See, that's probably after gonna... the month of October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's probably in that like 2012 range. 2018. A little bit no more recently. Way. Yeah. Okay. But it was only for the Big 12 championship, which Texas lost to Kyler Murray's team. So they then fell out of the top 10. That gave, okay. ironically enough, Kyler Murray, Texas native, Heisman Trophy. Uh, just one of the many whiffs that Texas had on quarterbacks in the state of Texas during the 2010s and not being able to land one. Here's the better question. And this is what I wanted to get to. When was the last time that Texas won a single game as an AP top 10 team after the month of October, Will? I feel like I've made the same guess three times because that was the last time I thought they were good. Was it like 2012? 2009. Jeez, it's even worse than that. Even worse than that. Oh, that's so funny, man. Well, let me repeat this for the people in the back. The last time that Texas won a single game as an AP top 10 team after the month of October was 2009. And it was the Big 12 championship against Nebraska where they put an extra second on the clock for Texas to be able to attempt a game-winning field goal. You know how that went. Go ask Bo Pelini about how he feels about that. Well, I'm going to go full Darren Ravel for a second here, okay? The last time that Texas won a post-October game while being ranked as an AP Top 10 team, December 5th, 2009. At that time, Nick Saban had yet to win a national title at Alabama. LeBron James had yet to win an NBA title. The number one song on the Billboard Top 100 was Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys, which was a song that sophomore year of college Connor hated because he lived in a college apartment complex that was just loaded with New Yorkers who would blast that song in the wee hours of the morning. And for my courtyard-facing room, it might as well have been my alarm clock. It is a banger now, then not so much. A city never sleeps, all right? So it we does it. Bloomington, Indiana. Good Lord, did that city not sleep when that song came out? Your number one movie in America was Avatar. I actually thought Avatar came out more recently than then, but whatever the case. Instagram wasn't a thing yet. Uber hadn't hired a single employee. You get it. Since Texas last won a post-October game as an AP top 10 team, 12 of the 14 SEC schools have done that, Will. 12 of 14. The Mm -hmm. two that haven't, you could probably name them. Any guesses? Uh, is it Vandy and, Ooh, this one's tough. Cause I knew that one. Um, let's go. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Give, give me the stat again. Is it top 10? Has not won 
a post-October game as an AP top 10 team since 2009? Since 2009? Um, I'm going to – I feel like this is wrong, but I'm going to guess Mizzou. Mizzou has actually won because mm, – Because uh, that was the good seasons were in there, yeah. Correct. Uh, Kentucky is your other team because Kentucky really? is – Yeah, Kentucky oh. played – Played has played games as an AP top 10 team most recently as last year against right. Ole Miss, of course. Um, and then to to be able to to finish in the top 10 and do all those different things. But those yes. games were in October. The Georgia game, the yeah, the Ole Miss game. Got you. Correct. Yep. So for me, and maybe you'll differ on this, but I don't want to hear about Texas being back until they have won a game as an AP top 10 team after the month of October. Because once upon a time, that was the expectation for Texas. Oh, to, yeah. ret- to return to a place where you once were, there has to be at least some resemblance of your former self. It is incredibly dumb to declare Texas back after one game on that schedule. Okay? I don't even – even the Alabama game. I really don't like doing that for anyone, not just Texas. Why? Because we trick ourselves into thinking that every program goes through either a linear progression or a linear regression. And that is just not the case. One game can sometimes just be one game. Every once in a while, you can get a one game result that declares a program is back. Like last year, Tennessee beating Alabama. Very, very popular. We're back narrative to be able to be thrown out there. Even that though, I think that was different than any game that Texas is going to have on its schedule because you're talking about your first win against Saban. You're talking about both teams entering the third Saturday of October undefeated. Alabama was this overwhelming preseason number one. I get it. They weren't number one at the time. They had gotten off to a little bit of a slower start. But Tennessee beat an AP top five team for the first time since the post-Katrina LSU game, 2005. 17 years, man. Like, that's a long freaking time. If there's and ever... they beat Clemson, I think that win was just as big as the Alabama win because it was like we didn't just die at the end of the year because so many teams just die at the end of the year. You know, fair, yes, fair. You could you could point to 2017 Miami is a really good example of that, right? Yeah. 2020 Florida, good example of that. You feel like you're going in one direction, you very quickly realize, oh boy, this isn't what we once thought it was, and very soon the narrative changes about you. There were so many demons exercised on that day for Tennessee. Because you're going into late October as the number three team in America. My question with Tennessee, who had its best season since 2001, that's you can't argue that, is what happens if the Vols go seven and five this year? Will we retroactively declare that it was premature to say that they were back at any point in 2022? Because I would definitely feel like we we kind of jumped the gun. And what we probably should have said at the time, if we had been able to actually harness some of those emotions and not just blurt out the first thing that was on our mind, is mm, Tennessee is returning. It's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing. Tennessee is returning. In my opinion, being back should be more of a multi-season thing. So because this Uber arrives. They got in the Uber. They're not at, they haven't arrived yet. Is there, is there ever going to be a time in which Uber has to be back? Like Uber is just out of the the lexicon, and we're just not talking about Uber anymore. I'm not, you know, we're we're not getting into like which one's better between Uber and right. Lyft. But is there ever going to be it's a like time Google? Uber... It's like that's the verb. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Even when you get a Lyft, it's still oh, I'm getting an Uber. That's just the mm-hmm. way that it works. Kind of like the whole uh, Kleenex is is how tissues are referred to. You know, just just give me a Kleenex. Um, but in my opinion, yes, got to be a multi-season thing because history tells us that anyone at the Power Five level can have a one-off season and make it to a New Year's Six bowl game. And if you don't believe that, just go back to 2007. Go back to Kansas. Go back to Illinois. Okay, we've seen these things happen before. Being back shouldn't just be beating 
an AP top five team either. We should never have held Texas to that standard for being back, though beating an AP top five team would be a monumental feat for a Texas program who hasn't done that since when? 2009? 2010. Very close. Very close. So is being back for Texas just Vince Young confetti? Is that like the standard that I'm saying? I don't think that's fair either. I don't think that's fair either. I do actually think that if we're holding Texas to that standard, we need to dial it back a bit because in the nine years of the playoff era, Ohio State, Oregon, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, TCU, those are the only programs who have won a playoff game. That's a very exclusive list. And I don't think we even fully realize how exclusive that list is of teams who have won a playoff game. Winning a national championship is harder than it was back when Texas actually competed for those in the 2000s and before it decided to let black people wear their uniforms. By the way, fully aware that Texas had its first black player in 1970 at a time when there were still segregated SEC schools. I mentioned this because if at any point you're pointing to pre-integration glory years, I'm going to say I really don't want to hear about how historic your program is. Okay? Miss me with that take. Right. But again, Texas had the 2000s with Mac Brown had those years. What does it look like for Texas to be back? Let's lay this out here. Unless it reaches a national championship this year, I will not declare Texas back. You have my word. However, Texas finishes as an AP top 10 team this year. It is on the table for being back next year. This is a two-year process. Two-year process on the Saturday Down South podcast. I need consecutive AP top 10 finishes from Texas. You've got to win a post-October game as an AP top 10 team. You've got to have a quarterback at least in the Heisman Trophy conversation. You've got to beat an AP top five team at least once in the next two seasons. So, Will, let's let's do a little exercise here. We need to be able to to do a little bit of stretching before we kind of get some of these Texas takes off and running this year because they can run amok in a hurry. What if Texas wins the Big 12 for the first time since 2009? Back? No. Correct answer. Returning. Returning. That is what we will use to to describe Texas doing good things. What if Texas reaches the playoff for the first time? Back? No. Returning. Correct. We need to stop telling ourselves that one season brings a program back because it is so much harder than that. I'm old enough. Winning a playoff game. Is all they can do in one season. That is all they can do within one season for me to say, yes, Texas is back. You're playing for a national championship. You're doing what little brother down the road just did, TCU. Yep, I'll declare that you are back. That is the standard for one year. Two years, that conversation changes. Give me two AP top 10 finishes in a row, okay? Need to be able to do that in order for you to truly be considered back because I'm old enough to remember when 2016 Nebraska gets off to that 7-0 and start. Everybody's like, oh, Nebraska's back. We look back on that and we laugh because we know what happened after that. Huskers finished 2-4 and four that season. They lost to a non-New Year's Six Bowl game to Tennessee, which was the last time that they played in the postseason. And yet some wanted to declare them back just because they won a bunch of those close games against a bunch of teams who didn't even sniff the AP Top 25 at the end of the year. Texas doesn't have an opportunity for a start like that because obviously Bama is coming up in week two. So it's a little bit different how we would talk about that type of seven and zero. But what if they go six and one coming off of a win against Oklahoma and the only loss was that was maybe a nail biter at Alabama. There are people 
dumb people, in my opinion, who will declare that Texas is back just because they can't come up with any other way to talk about the Longhorns. It's dumb. It's not fair to them. I'm actually standing up for Texas. For what it's worth, I can see that happening. I can see this world in which Texas is going six and one and everybody's sipping the Kool-Aid. Okay. Even though part of me is worried that Texas can't feel a confident defense with Gary Patterson stepping down. We respect the three, three, five. Of course. I still really like what Texas returns. Okay. I even like what they brought in with Jalen Catalan, AD Mitchell. These guys we've seen have success at the SEC level that I'm saying, yep, that's a big time addition. I'm telling you right now, I'm getting out ahead of this. I could love me some Texas in mid-October. But I vow to wait on declaring Texas being back because it's such a stupid standard. And we're actually lowering the standard because it's Texas. If you are a power five team, you should be able to hop into the top 15 at any given point. I'd argue that when you're considered a traditional power, you can hop into the top 15 faster than most. You actually have a little bit of that confirmation bias working in your favor with that, too. Oh, yeah. People are rooting for like Notre Dame, Texas, like USC for a while. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a team who recruits top 10 classes annually like texas does you know like texas rarely misses a top 10 class you should be able to creep back into that top 15 even when you aren't back even when we're not declaring you back yet i bring this all up because there is a world in which texas has a really nice season new year's six bowl and all of us are patting texas on the back wow sark really has him ready for the sec but then what happens if in the first year in the sec texas goes seven and five We are right back to where we were with Sam Ellinger. We're right back there. And instead of being back, we're actually just back to making fun of everybody for jumping the gun with Texas. And what what good does that do? What good does that do? It doesn't, in my opinion. I thought a lot about why people want to jump the gun anytime Texas and Miami, Nebraska, or Tennessee does something. I'm actually going to remove Michigan from that conversation of the we're back thing because – They've at least had consecutive playoff berths. You get something for that, even if you puked on your own on your own shoes once you got there. Because it's weird. We don't do this in any other sport. Maybe every once in a while, college basketball, but we really don't even lean into that conversation. Maybe the most we're back game that I have ever seen was a game that I was at. And it was the Indiana-Kentucky game 2011, the Christian Watford shot. Like, Still, even that, though, we don't find ourselves saying this with other sports in the NBA. Like if the Bulls went to the NBA finals, nobody would be like, oh, the Bulls are back, even though from a nostalgia standpoint, it would definitely hit for me. But that just wouldn't be the narrative that I would go to. Here's the one thing that I think shows why being back is really only associated with college football. If the Dallas Cowboys go to an NFC championship for the first time since those mid 90s teams. Would we refer to the Cowboys as being back? No, no, no way. Like there, we have a different understanding of pro sports and how quickly things can change year to year. Whereas in college, we assume that once you climb to the top of the mountain, you're going to stay there for a while because it feels like we have the same elite teams every year. And it's far more cyclical in pro sports than it is in college. Does yeah. that make sense? Did we do the Texas is back conversation justice? Yes, I think so. And, and the big... Thing, the big idea at the heart of this right is winning as the hunted right and like that's what kirby smart and georgia have done such a good job of is that there's this added pressure um when you're the team everyone needs to be so when you pop up and surprise everybody you know when yeah like 
it, not that people weren't checking for Texas. Texas is always a big game. But when you have those added expectations, when you have that, that you know, top five, top six ranking by your name um, to start the season and every team gets your best game is something that Nick Saban is an artist at, is keeping his team motivated, you know, with the rat poison and all that. Like, so I think that it's such a different ball game. And we saw, we saw it with, you know, with LSU, with Coach O mishandling success. You know, you had the ramp up in 2018 where they won a New Year's Six game. And in 2019, they were awesome. And then success, right, being hunted in 2020 is what stopped them from being kind of a a, a, a face that stayed around. And so, yeah, I think that you're exactly right. But, you know, on the expectations tip, you're, you know, you have the richest athletic department in America. You know, you have an athletic department that multiple sports make money. You have this ridiculous, you know, tunnel or, or funnel of money you have top 10 classes even when you're not backing it up when when you're trash you're getting great recruits and then you have what texas has had which you know the the big 12 apologists would tell you it's so great to have everything balanced i'm here to tell you right now these teams that have been winning the big 12 lately are not good okay even tcu we saw what happened when they played georgia yeah they had a great game against michigan who among us is not talk to dan mullen about that okay so <laughs> so point being i think that like you know, you have Oklahoma and, and we, you know, we haven't even talked about the fact that this is a big 12 that Texas has mostly existed in without Nebraska. It, it's a big 12 that's only had one team, Oklahoma, which is the hunted every single year. And why, you know, there is something to be respected about what um, Stoops and Lincoln Riley did down there, because every single year, every team knew they had to beat Oklahoma. And yet Oklahoma, even when they lost to Texas, came back and beat them like you just talked about. And so point being, you know, as the Big 12 has gotten weaker and weaker and weaker every year, Texas has just stayed mid. Like, whatever the level of the Big 12 has been, they found the middle of it every single year. And it's mind-blowing because it's not, oh, you have this dominant Oklahoma team you have to get over. Oh, you, you know, DeMarco Murray and all these boys, you got to worry about this hard-hitting defense. No, no. You have to worry about Baylor, Oklahoma State, TCU, teams that if you combine their athletic departments, probably you're not pulling in what you're pulling in. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, I think you're exactly right. It's like too much to whom much is given, much is tested. Like that's where Texas has been. Um, and so, so, yeah, I think that people get head over heels about, you know, the branding is really cool. Objectively, the burnt orange, the 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 white helmets, like all that, like like I see why neutral people want to root for them. But at the same time, you know, it's deeper issues. It's these thing about boosters. It's about, you know there's they find a way to lose um so to find sustainable success at texas is like um it's similar in a way to like we've seen josh heupel start it at tennessee his uber has arrived right and but it's not just about you know getting the players like it is at some places it's about beating these systemic issues of boosters fan expectations, being the coach at Texas. And that's what Mac Brown was so good at as a coach was keeping all the boosters happy, keeping this whole thing running down the tracks. And you hire all these flashy dudes who don't care about that part of the job. And it's the most important part. And so that's what you're really proving to us is number one, can you sustain success? Can you win as the hunted? And number two, can you keep those boosters hands out of everything? Because that's something else that Nick Saban has been great at at Alabama. Is, is just, okay, we're here to win football games. If you're trying to get me to do crap that doesn't relate to that, I'm not doing it. And when Mac Brown left, those boosters got more powerful. So the guy who needs to get in there and fix this needs to tell these boosters, get out of here, okay? You need to show us that you have total alignment. To right. show us that you have total alignment isn't drawing up the game plan to win one specific game. It's not even winning one specific conference title. It's getting success sustaining success and then showing, Hey, we have something that works. And that's not the sexy thing to be able to talk about with Texas, because there's something fun about getting a downtrodden fan base riled up 
I will admit that I've seen it on this side. I totally understand what goes into that. And to be able to talk about certain teams achieving levels of success, they have long aspired to get to. There is something that is premature about that. It is ingrained in who we are in the college football world to want to talk about the yesteryear, to want to talk about a simpler time wherein success was was totally sustainable. And so now we're getting to this place with Texas where we could see them have in their last year in the Big 12 a really good season. But even if they have that great season, it's hard to imagine any scenario in which we aren't asking the following question. What's Texas going to look like in the SEC? Yep. We still won't know. And if Texas was coming off of a run, see, even with Oklahoma, when Oklahoma was had agreed to join the SEC, we still were asking that question of, man, but they can't win the playoff game. So what's it going to look like when they go into the SEC? And that was at a time when it was pre-Brent Venables hire. And so we weren't talking about them having the floor that they showed that they had last year. So these questions are still going to surface. So it's something that I think we needed to get out ahead of. And if you have your friend that wants to declare Texas is back, just remember, there's a lot more that goes into it. Do not fall for the Texas is back trap this year. I just want to very quickly mention two very funny Texas games because 18 and 19 were really funny Texas seasons. Number one, they started off their last good season by losing to Matt Canada, Maryland. Very funny. Number two, they lost ended to Maryland the- twice, Will. They lost to Maryland oh, twice. Oh, they sure did, buddy. And then in 2019, who could forget? They ended their season by rolling Utah. Utah is an agent of such chaos in college football because that was a good 12-ranked Utah team that should have been playing LSU in the quarterfinal and they blew it against Oregon and then somehow just got wrecked by Texas and that was why people thought they were back. Anyway. Yes. Moral of the story, wait until 2024 to say the words Texas is back. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the one and only Paul Feinbaum. Paul, I uh, I feel fortunate to to chat with you th- this time of year during these slower months in the college football calendar. Do you have a, a regular vacation spot that you hit up? Uh, no, uh, we 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 usually take off a, a specific week uh, in in late May uh, when we uh, when, when the baseball tournament starts because we the whole network uh, moves to Hoover, uh, and then a little bit more time uh, in in the summer, but no, we, we, we always, it's kind of the same routine. We wait till the last second, see what the weather looks like, uh, and then make a decision. Uh, we did the same thing in uh, December. We were going some someplace for Christmas and there was nowhere to go. Everywhere was the same weather. So we chose to go to New York, uh, for Christmas. I'd never been there for Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, we, uh, we were walking in central park and the wind chill was, I think 14 below zero. Uh, the mean temperature was about eight or nine. And I, I'm like, but, but I don't know if you remember that week or it was, it, you know, even, even where you, cause we looked in Florida as well. There was nowhere to go. Uh, Florida was 30 degrees. It was terrible. We went up to back up to the Midwest and we were in Indianapolis and in Chicago and you would wake up in the morning and the windshield would be minus 40. You're like, what, what, what are we doing here? How, this is not human conditions. Even in the South, we had to, we had to cover up all of our trees down here in Orlando. It was, it it was really bad. I I always wonder what's an ideal vacation like for you? Is it, are you like, are you a beach guy? Are you an all-inclusive resort guy? Do you, do you have a specific thing that you No, we don't. We're uh, we're pretty uh, generalist. Uh, I like the beach, uh, but we always go to the beach uh, for, for Destin and, and, 
in late May anyway for, for the SEC. So uh, I'm, I'm really not specific. Uh, I, I like mountains too. I went to school near the mountains, so that was cool. Uh, the thing I like most about vacation uh, is is locking a phone up uh, and then taking a walk or, and, and I'm not trying to act like you can't, it's not that you can't get away from the phone. We just don't get away from the phone. Yeah. But, and, and that, that to me is really fun when it just doesn't matter, you know, whether uh, some five-star recruit is committing to Georgia uh, as I'm taking a walk or running or whatever I'm doing. Uh, that's, that's fun for me. Where haven't you been that you want to go to? Uh, no, I, I have not spent that much time in Europe. Uh, I, I've always wanted to, I've been there, but I haven't spent a lot of time. Uh, I would love to, uh, to do Far East Asia. Uh, I don't know why I'm, and maybe it was because when I was a kid, the Vietnam was such a big thing. I, I'm really uh, eager to go there. So I, I have all these places to go uh, after I uh, leave my, my job on June 1st. So I don't know when this is airing. So I'm assuming uh, if it airs uh, after June 1st, then, then you will have this, Missed a big scoop. Okay, so what's <laughs> retirement like for you then? If that's is it just going to be you traveling and doing a bunch of things like that? I don't just know. It, it's the funniest thing in the world as you get older, which I clearly am. Um, where people say, uh, "What do you think about?" And everybody, you know, I, I've interviewed Saban a thousand times, and I, I've said, "Well, you know, uh, you know, I've always been part of a team." You, you, you've, you've heard this drill. Uh, I don't, I don't know anyone who passes sixty. Um, which I have, uh, where you don't start thinking about it. I mean, it's a total lie that you don't think about it. And as a sports writer, I thought about it at 25 because I was always worried that the newspaper was going out of business. So I don't have a plan. Uh, I've thought about different things. I do not want to be the guy who uh, people like Connor O'Gara are whispering, what's this guy still doing there? I mean, why, why at 85 is he, uh, is he hosting a show, uh, in uh in in one in you know on a one market network I, so i you know I, i've been that guy like uh, i've been like going that guy that guy that and so i think uh, for that reason i've always looked for an early exit as opposed to a late exit i don't think people realize the grind of being on air on tv 20 hours a week it's one thing to do radio for 20 hours a week but having to physically be in front of a camera and yeah you know you've got your cutaways you've got your commercial breaks you've got all that stuff but having to be on air and just be on in that sort of way where you, you can't even be scratching your nose the wrong way without worried being worried about going viral like there are probably so many days you show up in which it's just like we got to dig a little bit deeper like when do you feel like that besides you know a slower time of year that's that's one thing but do you feel like you're at your peak where you when you don't have to worry about that you don't worry about being on air for 20 hours a week is it like early september for you where that really kind of doesn't feel as much like work and like you have to dig deep it, to me the, uh, the season is the easiest time uh people always say man i must be crazy it's not uh because i can tell you uh starting in august what i'm doing almost every day of the week uh, it's it's format it's a, it's a, it's a what, what I really do like is that that day in June when and you know our producers when when Danny or uh, Jamar goes Jamari, hey, yeah you, do you think we need to get another guest I go no no I got this I mean I I, I mean you look down and suddenly there's nobody there uh, and then you just you you have to work uh, and that's fun because it, it, when you're at uh, a network uh, and you have a lot of uh, affiliates around the country on a radio on the radio side you you're going to look down and there will be your guys. Uh, but sometimes, some days are, you, you really do wonder. So I, I used to have a game when I was uh, back in Birmingham, when nobody would call, when we looked at, and I would just, I would say, 
you know, it's really interesting. I was thinking about that uh, time in uh, 1979, uh, you know, when Alabama uh, lost to Penn State for the national championship. You know, that famous uh, goal line stand and, and Joe Paterno finally. Be, and, and all of a sudden you look down, there's like eight lines. Lit up. No, that's wrong. No, And so it, there, there are always these little gimmicks. Uh, that you, I, we we did that. I can't remember some of them where you would have the wrong guy catching the, the key touchdown pass, or or Alabama actually beating Auburn in the kick six, or something just utterly bizarre. And the next, and you find out there they are out there listening pretty quickly. Do you do have you done that recently where you'll say something uh, incorrectly on purpose? I don't. It's harder to do uh, at this level because uh, you just. Uh, you don't because somebody like you will pick it up and, and quote me and then I'll have to explain that I was just kidding because uh, I mean when you that is one of the problems with today's world you can't really have fun anymore it's harder to have fun it's not that yeah. you can't have fun it's that you need full context and more times than not people aren't getting full context and like no. I'll admit like at Saturday Down South if you were to say at some point hey Alabama totally won the kick six never happened yeah. something like that that right. then prompts what you were talking about before people say you're over the hill this guy needs to retire stick right. him on a beach somewhere so I apologize even though it's not me personally writing those stories yeah people want to consume that stuff because what's more interesting Al Michaels is still at his peak or Al Michaels on that call for the Jaguars oh. game looks sounds awful and yeah, did not yeah. have any perception of the moment we're all guilty of it. And probably the most interesting thing is uh, Saban's five years older than I am and watching him, every, you know, I'm saying, oh man, Saban's getting old. Well, <laughs> what am I? <laughs> but it is, uh, you know, it, it, it's so unique because I mean, he's still uh, at, at the peak of coaching, but his age does become such an issue. It, it happens to everyone. Uh, it happens younger, older. You know, we got a president uh, who, assuming he gets reelected, assuming he gets to uh, run for reelection, uh, will be 86. Uh, so that's all you that's all you hear people say when they're talking about. And the guy running against him is only about four years younger. So we need uh, age discrimination in politics. Yeah. Like it, it should actually be held against you. You're too old to be running. Like uh, presidents are just always way too old. Let's let's get something like that involved. I know uh, one of the I'm not to get political, but uh, Nikki Haley said there ought to be an acuity test. I just hope they don't do that to, for talk show hosts. <laughs> We're going to wipe out half the industry. I know. We're going to be in trouble. Like people are breaking down, you know, the combine stuff of like, you know, these guys taking their IQ tests and all that. And, you know, people like us would be like, oh, gosh, we have to we have to be quick on our feet in those moments. Like, no, that's that's not going to happen. I, I've always thought the idea of the, the cartoon for you, that that cartoon show that that got thrown out there, that idea of the fine bomb show that made so much sense and would fit your audience really, really well. I could totally see all the animation in my head and everything like that. What's, what's the update on, on that? How is Disney plus not giving you the green light on it? Yeah. Well, the long story short on that is that uh, three years ago now, it, it was going on for about two years. And finally, three years ago, uh, ABC bought uh, the pilot for a sitcom. We had, uh, they, they, they booked the, they booked a the guy to play me. Uh, it was about, a, about, it said about 25 years ago, a guy named Jason Biggs, who was in uh, American Pie, the trilogy. Uh, he was, and the funniest thing, uh, Connor, we did a couple of calls uh, and we thought we were pretty close to it. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you what happened in a second. And I'm sitting there looking at this guy who's, a, you know, in his genre, a very well-known actor. Um, and, you know, he's, he's trying to act like me and I'm trying to act like him. Um, 
And then COVID happened. Uh, everything changed. And nothing happened for years, you know. And then by the time it's like uh, the, the Jets getting stacked up at LaGuardia on a, on a rainy uh, Tuesday afternoon, it's still sitting there. So I, I don't know. Uh, I'm no I'm no more optimistic. I mean, when when, when we got the word uh, that uh, ABC bought it, it was it was like you know it was pretty big. But uh, the, let me say the celebration was short lived, um, and that's after you meet with all the networks, and uh, it, it's a long drawn out process. I, it was entertaining uh, to, for me to be on that side. Uh, I will say when you when you go, when you're in Hollywood and you're going door to door to the top guys, it's a rush. Um, it's 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 unlike anything I've ever gone through, uh, but which also means the disappointment of it not being on network television right now or Netflix or Amazon is equal to that. Uh, but you you eventually move on. But I understand the entertainment world a little bit better when uh, you hear people say, I, I, you know, "John Grisham, I sent my I sent I sent a Time to Kill to uh, you know forty different publishers and they all rejected me." Uh, this is I mean this was the other side of that, but I still have nothing to show for it. So you had, I, I didn't realize I had gotten to that point yeah. that I had gotten Jason Biggs is, I, I I can't stop thinking of you trying to act like Jason Biggs and try to act like. Well, you. I was just having fun with it, but, but yeah, he, he had picked up some of my mannerisms very quick. He's a he's an actor. I mean, um, all I wanted to do was talk about uh, American Vagas. I had just had, I figured I, I, I just uh, OD'd on the trilogy and uh, I want to be like him. <laughs> Forget <laughs> him wanting act, wanting to act like me. But that, but I, I will let you know if, if anything changes. But uh, it, it's it's a it's a it's a process. Let me put it that way. All right, but ongoing project. It's at least off the ground. You've gotten approval once. What's to say you can't get approval again, right? Yeah, I mean the hardest thing is to get where we got, uh, yeah. where the development for a pilot was already in play, but. Uh, you hear these stories, though, in Hollywood, where eight, nine, ten years later, somebody picks up uh, an idea, and the next thing you know, there's, there's there's ten years worth of episodes. But we we had the we had the best. We had a we had a producer uh, that had done major hits. Uh, we had a, a cast being developed. I was all ready to go out and buy an expensive pair of sunglasses and uh, hang out in Malibu. Dang! And it would so would it have been like would it have been animation or would it have been? No, it, would, it was a, it was a real uh, it was a it was a it was a legitimate sitcom um and i i you know i i already signed the deal uh to be one of the executive producers uh, and you just basically i would i would spend some time out there you yeah I don't, I don't think i would have had a i mean you basically sit there and if they need you they'll call you which they probably never would but i would be there for a while yeah just any excuse to get to malibu who plays you in the biopic then let's get the biopic off the ground of, of your life uh I mean, I, I think you have to go through phases because I, I don't think the same guy could handle it. <laughs> but your uh, head of hair early in your career, though, I think that would catch people by surprise. And then would. they would see that actor. And I don't know who plays that guy, but that guy's got a good head of hair. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and you, it's not that hard to find the, the pictures and you better look quickly because uh, the, the hair started going fast. But yeah, back uh, you know, high school, uh, even into college, and for a very short period after that, the, the sports writing career really got to me fast. I mean, between uh, between twenty and thirty five, I aged about forty years. Yeah, I, I was thinking the wrong answer is Jason Alexander, and the correct answer is Stanley Tucci. Yeah, I'll take either one, but uh, St Stanley seems to be on a roll these days.
He's in all the biopics now. Like yeah. he's just in the Whitney Houston one as well. He's in the, the Julia Childs one. Like he's he's kind of he's kind of Mr. Biopic. Maybe that's a little bit too typecast for him. Um okay, so SEC Network, 10 years ago, they hired you, which gosh, I can't believe it's already the 10-year anniversary of not the network officially starting because that happened in 2014 or in, in 2014, but getting all these pieces together and figuring out what this is going to look like. We're just talking about, you know, what it looks like to get a, just a, a show on the back end, getting an entire network and all those different things. The story is pretty incredible for those who don't know it of the ADs in the SEC, just rejecting you and rejecting the idea of what you were going to be. And the late Mike Sly, the former SEC commissioner kind of going to bat for you and him just saying, Nope, this is happening. What's, what, what what kind of was the the breakdown of 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 how that all happened and who didn't want you the most? Well, it it, it was literally going on uh, at this moment uh, ten years ago. Uh, the offer came in late April, but we sat on it for over five weeks because of this reason. Uh, you know, ESPN made me the offer. I agreed to it. Uh, signed the contract. But Slive, uh, Commissioner Slive, wanted to finesse it before it came out. So in early May, uh, they had an ADs meeting. Uh, I think it was Amelia Island. Uh, and he met individually with every single athletic director and said, listen, this is what we're doing. We need your buy-in. And a lot of these guys, some I knew, some I didn't. Some said fine. Some really you know, didn't care. So we got to Destin. I didn't go. Uh, it, it was the, the announcement was supposed to come out a little bit earlier, and a couple of things happened. And that was the year of the uh, of, of the marathon bombing in Boston. So that pushed back a, a big announcement that the SEC network made, which was going to be right after that. So everything got delayed. Finally, in late May, uh, uh, like the third week in May, the story the story finally came out that I was coming on board. It was it was leaked specifically to the Wall Street Journal. How about that? To, 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 for the Disney buy-in. Uh, so it comes out in the Wall Street Journal. The very next week is Destin. And Slab once again told the ADs, listen, we need, you know, there are a lot of reporters that are here. Please, if somebody, if something comes up about Paul Feinbaum, just, you don't have to say anything nice, just be quiet. Somebody got a hold of uh, Joe Oliva, oh boy. the athletic director uh, at LSU. And uh, he said, we don't need this guy in our league. <laughs> he said, yeah. Uh, and he went off on me. And, and I mean, immediately, I mean, I had, I had not, I was still in Birmingham, uh, obviously. Uh, the, the network still was not supposed to launch till August of 20, uh, let's see, of August of, six, of 14. This is May of 13. So that's how it began. And I finally made the move uh, in August. I only did a radio show, uh, the, and, and I did college game day, which is a weird way to start your career at a network. I was I was the first person they hired. Uh, I was I was going I was hired for SEC Nation as well. Tebow came a few weeks later, but they they knew they wanted to get me some some reps, so they put me on game day, which was quite an experience. Uh, and a couple of uh, weeks after the season. South Carolina was struggling. Uh, I remember this controversy with Jadavion Clowney. He essentially just walked off the team. Uh, Spurrier could not get Spurrier. And I talked one day, Spurrier unloaded on him, uh, called him every name in the book. And then the next day or two, I was on a show on ESPNU. Remember when that was your main source of college football? Oh, yeah. And it came up about Jadavion. And I said, (laughs) 
I said, this guy is the biggest loser in college football. Um, as soon as I said it, I realized maybe, maybe a little strong, but figured maybe nobody's watching. ESPNU tweets it out. Oh boy. It blows up. I, I held on. I'm, remember the network, the SEC network is still not off. Often this is October networks in August. That Saturday morning, I'm in uh, Seattle for college game day. It was a famous uh, college game day where Lane Kiffin was interviewed for the first time after he got fired. And, and that's when the Lane train and I became friends. I get on, uh, as I'm going to the airport uh, from, from UW, I see, I'm starting to see tweets uh, that Ray Tanner had appeared on uh, the pregame show calling for my firing. Ray Tanner's the, uh, the South Carolina AD. What happened was, uh, I mean, he had already heard what I'd said and didn't like it, but on game day, they showed a, a, a clip of the bus, uh, a shot of the bus. South Carolina was playing an early game. I can't remember who it was. And Chris Fowler said, well, apparently uh, Jadavion Clowney has no-showed the game. Uh, and, you know, it was, you know, then he referred to me earlier in the week. All Tanner heard was meet my name, and by the time he got on this pregame show, he, he had been told I had said what Fowler had said. Long story short, he calls for my firing. Um, <laughs> they have a president's meeting the next uh, Monday in Atlanta. This is Columbus Day. The president of South Carolina gets up and says, this is a disgrace. We don't need this guy. He called, you know, he, he erroneously. And Mike Slab didn't know fact from fiction. <laughs> and, I mean, and it became, uh, he, he calls me and starts screaming. And I said, my. I didn't, I didn't even say, by the way, don't ever try to convince someone that you didn't say something uh, when it was on national television, uh, because it didn't matter. Uh, and finally, uh, I called Tanner, I think I called Jadavion. I mean, I tried to wiggle my way out of it. And then Spurrier blasted me, uh, who had said worse to me off the air uh, than on the air. We all know, it. I mean, Jadavion checked out and, uh, you know, he was still the number one player and, and you know, his career is, 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 is often, was often running. But uh, so it was a rocky road uh, to uh, the SEC launch. Did Slive basically tell all the ADs, I don't care about your opinion. I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I'm commissioner and I can. Uh, essentially, and that's really how ESPN felt at the time, too. They, they said, we're paying, uh, yeah, there was an attitude is we are going to be uh, our own person. Now, by the way, I should have never said what I did about Jadavion Clown. I've apologized profusely. Uh, and I've never said anything like that again, nor, nor would I. But uh, well, once the network launched, we tried to be cooperative. I mean, you, 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 you know the network. Uh, we don't go out of our way. We, we try to, we try to give opinions, but we don't make, we don't make, we try not to make it, make it personal. At the same time, though, you're still one of one. I mean, I, I, I look at this a lot, and, and I, and I think about this probably more than 99 percent of the population. I look at other networks, and Fox doesn't even have anybody like that criticizing people within the big 10 people within the big 12, like Joel Klatt. That's not what he's asked to do. RJ young. That's not what they're asked to do. I don't think people fully grasp how unique it is to have someone on their own network, be as critical as you're willing to be. And it's funny because people on the outside say, Oh, fine bomb's just an sec Homer. And then people on the inside are like, Oh, did you hear what fine bomb said today about South Carolina or said about this team? You are the only person that truly gets to live in this space. Why, why is that even 10 years later? 
Well, I think some of it is that I did have a career before uh, doing what you do and what other people do and uh, stating reasoned opinions, whether you like them or not. But in, in today's world, though, uh, we tend to single out those, those outrageous comments. A couple of years later, remember when Les Miles was almost fired, I was on uh, ESPN Sports Center the next Sunday morning. And uh, Hannah Storm asked me, so what, what do you make out of all this? I said, well, I said, Hannah, I think the wrong person, uh, they tried to fire the wrong person. They should have tried to fire Joe, Joe Oliva. <laughs> I'm not saying that was get back. Uh, I said, oh, Joe, it was. Joe Oliva needs to be fired. What, what happened? ESPN immediately tweets that out. Um, and, and one of my bosses uh, came to me the next couple of days later and said, why did you say that? I said, because he should be fired. And I'm, I'm, I'm being very careful how I couch that. And the person looked at me and go, kind of shrugged, like, we, we don't disagree. Um, but, uh, I mean, Oliva, uh, yeah, probably tried to save LSU in the end, uh, but nobody would listen to him. I got it somewhat wrong. But that's just, I, but back to your original point, uh, Connor, 90 Eight percent of what I, what what I, what I'm accused of saying, I didn't say. The caller said. True. Uh, I'm I'm just nodding my head or not stopping them from saying it uh, because I, I I mean I, I realized uh, and as I as I've moved through the years, I, I've probably become a little more passionate in embracing the collaborative effort between the network and the league. Uh, not only is that really the way of the times, but what what else should I be doing? I mean, I'm not there to to tear down. I'm, I'm there to support what we do and to carry on a, a, a debate uh, with callers, not uh, and with analysts like you. I think that's that's the part that that gets lost in the shuffle of, of what you do is that if you if you're just willing to zoom out and look at the SEC as a whole, if you had a show that was just a yes man show and just patting everyone on the back and telling them, oh yeah, look at. Yeah, look, you you got to hype this team up. You got to hype this team up. And any notion of criticism was just hushed. And it was all, let's get that person off the air. That just wouldn't fit in with the SEC's identity. And it's taken me a while to understand that. But it is so unique to allow that and not just necessarily promote it or lead people like myself into those because I know when I get on a three o'clock spot with you and it's right after you've introed me, if I don't say something that's at least somewhat controversial – what am I doing? I'm wasting your time then. And I'm not giving you what callers probably want, which is something to be able to react to. And not everyone can cultivate that space because I think so few people know how, because they're afraid of the exact thing you brought up. They're afraid of that pushback and they don't have that buy-in. And perhaps that's why we still don't have it on other networks is because that takes a long time to establish that kind of credibility and to get everybody on board. The Big Ten Network did not cover the uh, biggest scandal in the history of college football, uh, the Jerry Sandusky situation under under. It's a great point. They, they, did, they never covered it, uh, and our goal was not to be an investigative unit. Uh, ESPN had that. Other networks have that. Our, our, but it was also not to cover up, and we 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 tackled the stuff head on, um, and. Yeah, we're, we're we're responsible how we cover things. Uh, the Brandon Miller situation in basketball was very was very difficult because uh, we didn't know we didn't have the facts. But we let callers express themselves, and, and that's really why I think we are different and why we're, we are unique. And I, I've always been very passionate about letting callers ha have a place, and that's why I think there's so much attention put on the quote unquote fine bomb caller. 
uh, you know, when when one passes away, it becomes a big deal because they are unique. Uh, and I've had a lot of friends come to me and say, you know, the Big Ten doesn't have this. The, the ACC tried it. I'm not sure uh, it's been perfected, but at least they tried it. Uh, but 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 I know other coaches in, in other leagues. I know this for a fact. Have gone to people from the network uh, and their own bosses and uh, say, why, why don't we have a, a fine bomb show uh, doing for us uh, what that show does for the SEC? It's very unique and it fuels discussion in a way that is, you, you just can't manufacture it. And it's why fan bases, in my opinion, are, are the way that they are. Would you ever do a show without, without callers? I, I, I don't think so. Uh, we, we had a, we did a, it was a, it was a, it was like a fill in. Uh, ESPN had a gap in the schedule a couple of years, about seven or six or seven years ago. And they added an hour to the show, which aired on ESPN too. And a lot of people thought we were, we were trying out for uh, that spot. I knew we weren't. Uh, I'd already been told by executives, listen, we just need, <laughs> we basically just need you to fill some time until the end of the season when we bring another show on. So for that reason, I, I played it pretty relaxed, but most they didn't like the calls. So I ended up interviewing guest after guest after guest. And I found it to be pretty boring. I mean, I, I am not the host of uh, all things considered on NPR. I'm the host of the Feinbaum show. And when, and the Feinbaum show is about talking to, to newsmakers and, and colorful people uh, who, who make a, who, who, who give a strong opinions, but it's primarily about giving fans a voice. You would have to make it two hours. It just couldn't be four hours if if that show ever existed. Like that's yeah. just that would that would be, I mean, it would be too hard on you to have too many of those moments. And like it kind of amazes me that people in talk radio are there are some who swear by it. They can do a three hour show without having any sort of call ins, and like you sometimes need that. And by the way, I uh, I love to interview people. Uh, I mean, I. I, I wish we still lived in an era when you could have a guest on for an hour. Uh, and, and, but you can't, uh, the attention spans are not that, that good anymore. Uh, outside of uh, very few places, e even places like NPR, uh, rarely have a guest for the whole hour. Um, it, it can be done. Uh, but I, I really believe in the give and take. And it, it, I mean, the caller show, the callers come to the show, not to hear my opinion. They come to hear their own opinion. Uh, and that's why we are unique. Uh, and yeah, w whether I deserve the credit or not, uh, I have been that, that guy on, on, on a big stage, which it is, uh, that gives them a voice. Um, I don't want to take away from a lot of talk shows in America because until recently I was doing a local market. I know I understand it fairly well, uh, but we just happen to uh, have given the, I, I don't really think my voice is that important. Uh, and, and, and I, I challenge anyone to listen for four hours or 20 hours a week and see how many opinions I really give. Most of the stuff that I get quoted on comes from other shows that I'm on, not on my own, my, my own show. That's a good point. You have your Monday spot with Mac and cube. That's like automatic that that's, that's going to have some sort of story on, on SDS. And most you of the trouble I've gotten in with coaches, uh, comes from when I'm on with Stephen A in football season. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've said some things about Saban there that I would never say normally, but you're, but you're almost forced into it. You're having this crazy debate with, with a guy like, like Stephen A. Smith and, and you start saying things and then somebody at Saturday down South picks it up. And to be fair, 
you're usually right. And Stephen A has deferred to you. We've talked about this before. And Mad Dog is the one that you have to talk into being like, right. hey, well, this is Mad 1965. Dog, Mad Dog Russo uh, is, is a brilliant radio host, uh, but he's still living in 1980, whatever, when the Yankees ruled the world. <laughs> they may it's, again. Bama still rules college football world. You pick Bama to win a national championship every year. Are you finally off of that? Are you finally at a place where you can go outside your comfort zone? Or is it just as simply, as long as Nick Saban has a pulse and is on that sideline, you're picking Bama to win a title? I have picked them to win every year since 2008. Uh, I've been right six times. I've been wrong a few times. I've been close almost every time. Uh, it's still early. We still have a couple months to go. Uh, but the, the betting in Vegas right now is against me picking Alabama to win it all. We okay, so I'll I'll get the the official prediction for the saving successor. That's what we always got to revisit, like every six months or whatever, because it changes and things happen. And you what you said two years ago probably on these airwaves is different than what you would probably say today. Who would be your leader in the clubhouse for your your saving successor? Because I think last we had checked, it was was it Dabo or Lane, one of those two. Yeah, it's funny. I'd love to go back and think of it. If you go back five years, it was probably Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. Um, it's It's been everywhere from Jeremy Pruitt to Mario Cristobal to Billy Napier. Mm. Um, I don't know today, uh, Connor, if, if there is a clear heir apparent. Um, I, I, I would be hard pressed just to... You know, Dabo is the most intriguing candidate because... Every time I'm in Alabama, there there are people who are hot and cold on Dabo Sweeney. And you know, he's an Alabama guy, but that that really doesn't matter anymore. That used to be the the only requirement. You had to you had to be an Alabama guy. And more than likely you had to play for Bear Bryant. Well, that's that's a long time ago now. So I I'm not I'm not dodging it, but I, I'm not sure I, I have a very good answer for you. Uh, I mean, there are there are always names that uh you know circle around Dan Lanning is a guy that I, I think could get into that picture uh you know why Dan Lanning because he's he coached at Alabama I think he he's he's bright enough uh, I, I think it will be somebody totally different than Nick Saban I don't think it will be a, a Saban acolyte um so but but I think Lan uh you know Dan would be somebody I would uh, keep my eye on last one for you always got to ask a John Party question I know you're a fan of the more upbeat John Party songs. You're a big heartache on the dance floor guy. But the day I stopped dancing, new album, Mr. Saturday Night, it's top two, top three John Party song ever, I think. Mm -hmm. Like it's it it is up there. Have you had a chance to 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 dig into Mr. Saturday Night? Maybe a little neon light speed would be yeah, I, I did. Yeah, they call me Mr. Saturday Night. Uh, and uh, I, I did listen to Listen, I, I don't come on uh, this podcast, uh, you know, prepped with college football news. I come prepped with John Party. So I did listen a little bit. I found myself uh, listening to that. I, I like that song. Uh, last Was it Last Time Lonely? Uh, last Night Lonely. That's a good last one. Night, I do like that song. That's a cool song. Um, then I, I kind of bounced around. I was I was doing I was moving quickly uh, as I was working out to the I moved pretty quickly back to uh, Heartache on the Dance Floor. I don't, I don't know why that song gets me. I, I I do not understand that, but it does. It's just catchy. It's upbeat. It's yeah. it's good. Oh, have you had Luke Combs on in the last in the last year? I want to make that happen. I cannot confirm or deny my my one interview with Luke Combs uh, about a year ago. Um, 
when I, I really did, I, I knew about a year and a half ago, I knew virtually nothing about him. I mean, I knew who he was, by the way, I know everything about him now, as you know. Um, but we were in Atlanta and uh, they told me at somewhat last minute, uh, he just did the SEC uh, nation song. So he's going to be available. And I'm like, going, okay. I, I mean, I know he's really big. And uh, the guy looked at me, what, what do you mean? You know, he's really big. He's got 16 number one. I said, Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I've listened to them all by now. Uh, it was funny. I was it was it uh, Drinkwitz last year at uh, at Media Days. We got into the whole uh, Luke Combs. Uh, his, his he had just come out with that. He had just come out with a record about what was the name of that song? Uh, help me out. Uh, the one about yeah. doing what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, yeah, that had just come out right around this time last year because he had like a two part album. He had. Yeah. Uh, growing up and, and getting old was like the that's what everybody's yeah. doing like the two part. So I, I'm now a big fan of Luke Cohen. I know who he is. All right, that's good. As Brian Kelly said about Keishan Booty, I know his I know his last name now. Yeah. That's that's good. I know his last name is Combs. Yes, exactly. That's all you need to know. Uh Paul, this has been great. Really, really appreciate it. Hopefully you get some vacation time real soon. Always a pleasure, Connor. See you soon. What was I thinking? New segment. It is a auto spinoff of figuring it out. I think that's okay to say. Mm -hmm. What was I thinking? Are stories that we look back on now as semi-wise adults that just make us say, what was I thinking? Shout out Dirks Bentley. What was I thinking is on my list for future TikTok. Y'all said what? That's that's happening at some okay. point. Maybe, maybe during paternity leave. Ah, that's not going to be the best look. That probably won't go over. Very well. <laughs> Listen, uh, that's your time to really like get the old TikTok going. You'll have a, you know, you have an endless fountain of content with your child. So correct, correct. Uh, but so for today, this is how this is going to work. Each, what was I thinking, is a story from me and a story from Will that we look back on with regret and we learn something. And to the people who say, oh, I don't regret anything because it got me to this place. Yeah, I get it. But at the very you're least, whack. you look back. Yeah, sorry. You're a little whack, okay? You can at least look back on moments in your life and cringe. Can we can we settle on that? Is cringe the compromise? You might not regret it because you did blah, blah, blah. But you right. can at least cringe at certain things that happen. Will, would you like to start or would you like me to start? Uh, Sure, man. So I think this segment is going to very quickly become Will Shares bad uh, or very wild stories from his past because i'll start off with just a, a completely perfect story for this um so this is the story of how i submerged my first jeep um so the night that i got my first jeep uh it was a red jeep it was the rock lobster color um so background okay for my graduation present my mom i was like hey i want a car but here's what i want high school want or college high school okay. i was like hey i want a beat up like you know toyota and then i want like a beat up jeep with like no tags i want to just be able to take it out of the woods beat the crap out of it not worry about it just beat it up a total expenditure of like 12 grand uh my mom did not like me driving around in a vehicle that didn't have tags on it so she just decided to get me a jeep like a like a new jeep uh which as you can see a little bit different than the kind of car that you would want to go do you know uh mudding and stuff in and i was a big time off-roading guy like uh till 
pretty much till I moved to Georgia in, in Orlando in Alabama, I was always going off road. Um, but the issue with this Jeep is it had stock wheels on it. Uh, it didn't have anything special to it. Um, so the first night I got it, I went to like a basketball game or whatever. And there was this trail that I used to go through all the time. It was in Hoover. Uh, I was behind actually one of my stepdad's subdivisions that he developed, which made it so perfect because if anyone caught me back there, I'd just be like, actually, technically <laughs> you guys can't kick me out of here. Can I ask a uh, quick question about that as somebody who's not very well versed in, in, in off-roading? And I just want to make sure that I understand this because I have I, one of my good friends used to go off-roading all the time and I never went with him. And I never asked him and I kind of regret not asking him this, but if you are on somebody else's land or if it's unclaimed land, how do you know? And is there that part in the back of your mind that just thinks I'm ripping up someone's land right now? Uh, so most, okay. So unclaimed land is different than someone's land. we tried to not do it on like someone's land. Like most of the time we would do it kind of like off road tracks and stuff like stuff, middle of the forest that nobody cared about. So like the, like there was a place that everybody went in Hoover that was, that was owned by us steel, which ended up getting developed into a neighborhood. Ironically enough by my stepdad, if you guys know where Hoover high school is like that whole area box, like that, that whole area used to be us steel land. Um, but like, they didn't care about it. Like it wasn't anything. So you can kind of go out there. Uh, but yeah, there, that answers your question. Uh, if someone cares, it's a problem, but if it's, it's kind of like school squatter's rights it's like hey here's this abandoned plot of land if the owner doesn't have security cameras they're not going to catch you does that make sense okay yeah i i just always have wondered that because i would always think to myself where where are these places of unclaimed land where you can just go do this and not have any consequences whatsoever the answer is alabama um okay. the deep south there's a lot i bet i could find land in atlanta georgia to go do that if i wanted to um but you got to have a vehicle that got to get you out there to, you don't know it's good till you're there that's the thing so true anyway it's a lot of word of mouth uh so we there's this spot that I used to go near some railroad tracks that I had gone in my previous truck, which it was an avalanche. It was not an off-roading vehicle, even though I took it off-roading some. Um, but what I didn't factor in is that it had rained very heavily the day before. Um, so I went through a track that I'd gone through a ton of times. It was like you know where the, where the um like when they're uh what are they called? Not telephone like uh, power lines by a railroad track, and there was like that wide open space. It was like one of those, and there was like different like tiers to it. So it was a really cool place to go mudding. Well, the water had basically turned the bottom of it into a pond. And I didn't know that until I was submerged in said pond. Mm. So uh, I'm going to give you the cliff notes of the story because I've already taken enough, like, enough time. But basically, we get down there. Um, we, we, we like, you know, and I'm, like I said, I've, I've hit this truck dozens of times. No one cared about it, whatever. So we get down there and I start spinning my tires. And literally my Jeep is like on the last turn, like about to get out of there. And the water is literally up to my floorboards. Like it's it's like I'm an inch away from really having some problems. And so I called my buddy who also had a big truck. I'd go mudding with him. And he was like, he was Mr. Like I built my truck myself. I'll never get stuck. So he puts his, um gets his winch. Locks it, like puts it around my Jeep, starts to pull it out. Well, again, he's one of these kind of like dudes who thinks he can do anything. So he doesn't realize that while he's pulling me out, he starts sinking. Oh, no. So he so he is now also submerged in the swamp. So he then calls a member of his family who also has a big truck, tries to unstick both of us. Now, that member of his family was older. Uh, he was smart enough to realize that the whole area was compromised by this point. And so he tried to get it out. It basically was just pulling flat. It wasn't going anywhere. So uh, the next day, uh, I'm, I'm going to skip like a little bit part of the story, but the next day, you know, I had to go home and, and we're covered in mud. And I was like, basically had to go knock on my own door and be like, hey, mom, stepdad, my Jeep that you guys just got me 
is in the woods oh, we gotta figure no, this out Will. it was oh, terrible no. it was the worst like one of the worst days of my life and it was the day i can't stress you enough the day i got it on a track that would rate as a two out of ten but i didn't factor in how muddy it was and so we did and i was like 17 i was very stupid at the time so okay we do this they call a wrecker okay and I was kind of like of the opinion, I was like, we almost need to get like some like Jim Bob type lad. But they were like, no, we're calling a record company. So the record company gets back there. It's like I said, like unclaimed. Nobody cared about the land. It wasn't a big deal. Um, tow truck goes back there. Tow truck gets stuck. So, oh, no. So at this point, we have my truck, my buddy's truck, my tow, the tow truck is stuck. So they have to call an additional tow truck to uncharge charge extra for that, right? Yeah, I would sure, think. buddy. Yeah, yeah, they did. I was grounded for, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> months and months and months. There's like a period of my high school career that just doesn't exist because I was just going home, doing my homework, and going to sleep. And so that yeah, they got the second tow truck out there, which had like mud tires on it. So it gets the first tow truck out. Then those two tow trucks work together to pull each other out of the mud and also get the trucks out of the mud. Uh, literally the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I what was I thinking? Truly, it was I thought it was going to be a fun little thing after this Hoover basketball game. Ended up taking several days. I ended up oh, this is a fun part of the story I didn't tell. We had to walk all the way back to the highway because we were way off the highway and we're walking and it's just like me and my boy. We hear wolves, dog. No, we're on this abandoned road in the middle of nowhere. We hear these wolves and we start running and running and running. And I tripped over a log and hurt my knee. So I'm running like a zombie. I'm covered in mud, bro. It was the worst. Day. That is so bad <laughs> because so stupid. there's not... I'm going to, people are going to hate this. The redeeming quality of muddy. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. It is similar to, I don't know, skateboarding, right? It's yeah. an adrenaline thing. Mm -hmm. It's an adventure thing. You're doing this and it's a little bit more of like a, okay, it's not, it's not premeditated. You kind of want to be able to like, like skateboarding, surfing, a, a more extreme version of that because you're using your own vehicle, right? right? Like that's, that that's considered the high, the jollies. Do you hit that point when you go mudding of this was a successful mudding adventure. I can now turn around and go home. What does that point look like? And were you anywhere close to that? Not even near close to it. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, it's, it takes like no time to feel that way. You can just hit the track once and go home. I used to do that when I had a bad day at school. Just like go find a little mud track, hit it, go home. I did this a ton. Um, but and that's like again, stupidest decision ever. But it was also like this track had not once before or after I didn't go back after, but it gave me a problem. How many times have you been mudding since? And how how diligent have you looked at the the forecast from the previous day? Well, I got the tires on there too. That's the other thing. It was a perfect storm because if I had had the tires, it wouldn't have been an issue. But it was the fact that it was a stock Jeep Wrangler four-door, which are not actually off-roading vehicles, no matter what they tell you, because the, it's such a wide vehicle that there's a lot of space between the, the axles. Dang. That's brutal. All right. That's a good way to start. That's a really good way to start. I feel like that's somewhere there's a line and in, in, in what was I thinking that was all about like mudding and, and doing that. So that's, that's a great place to start. Big time. Go tiger story right there. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Okay. I'm going to go back to after my freshman year of college. It's a very unique time in life that you're in this very awkward limbo for a lot of people because you go through freshman year and if you're listening to this in high school, you'll know what I mean. If you end up, if you, if you go to college and you, and you have this sort of experience, but you go to college your freshman year and you live a certain way, 
you go parties on the weekends. Sometimes you go to a party on a Thursday night. Sometimes you go to a party on a Tuesday night. It happens. Everybody's doing it in college. There's a certain level of acceptance of what you're going to be doing socially and what that looks like. And that first summer when you're home, you're either going to get one of two things. You're either going to get your parents who are like, yeah, you know what? You've already been in college. Kind of go do your thing. We know that you're 19. Just like be smart, be safe about it. Don't be, don't be stupid, but like, you know, do it responsibly, all that stuff. You're either going to get that side or you're going to get the other, which is the side that I had. You're going to get the side that is, you're not drinking while you're under this roof until you're 21. Right. We're going to make you live by a certain, a certain, you know, set of rules and understandably so. Okay. It's not necessarily built for that type of environment. When you're living at home, when you're with your parents, you're not, you know, like walking from place to place, all that stuff. So there's a lot of things that, is, that are associated with it now that I kind of look back on it and I understand. But when you are in that spot and it's not widely accepted, you will sometimes go to some significant lengths to get alcohol. And after freshman year of college, there was a place with, you know, that if like a few random people from our high school who were a year older, uh, these people that I never hung out with before then, that they would have like these get togethers, get togethers, with, like, I don't know, like a dozen people, not, not anything crazy. We're not talking like super bad levels of get togethers. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're talking like 12 to 15 people. So these, you know, these get togethers, we'd go there and, you know, play some beer pong or whatever, and then like call it a night, like nothing crazy or anything like that. Um, and you know, the, the kids that, that live there, they did smoke weed or whatever, but like nothing you hadn't seen before your freshman year of college, there was nothing extreme to suggest that anything other than that was going on. So probably the third time that we were there, we're all sitting around. I think that people were playing like, uh, I think the people were playing, what was it? Super smash. That's what people were playing. They're sitting around. I hadn't even had a, a sip of beer yet. It's probably eight 30 on a, on a Saturday night or something like that. All of a sudden, after like 10 people have been there, they're all crowded around in the main living room. Door is kicked open. It is kicked open by a SWAT team. Oh, no. They are coming in. And at first, you have this this moment where you're like, okay, I'm not necessarily in familiar surroundings. This could just be one of their friends doing this as a joke. And I'm not really going to react. Nobody really reacted immediately because of how weird this was to see in this setting, which did not call for that whatsoever. I cannot stress that enough. They kick this door open and they're like, on the ground, on the ground, on the ground. And everybody's like, what in the world is going on? And before we know it, everybody is handcuffed. We're all sitting there. There was another person there who will remain nameless, who wasn't one of my close buddies. Guy pissed his pants while being handcuffed. Tough look. SWAT team, whatever this guy was. And it's not like officially the SWAT team, but do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It was like the narcotics unit. They did not appreciate this, this, this lad who had wet himself. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world did I get myself into for a few beers? What did I do? And you were Ross, literally the dude from Superbad when he went to go get the, the beer at the party. Yes. And the girl's like dancing on him. And there's like a fight. And the dude gets punched. He's like, whoa. Like, whoa, this is this is not my scene. What What's going on here? And like, I have my close friends there. But it's still the apartment is 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 being rented by people that I don't know particularly well at all. Like I, you'd see them in passing in high school or whatever. They hung up with a very different crowd. We're going there because we're 19 years old. We're 19 years old. Who Kids are 19 who wanted to have fun playing beer pong or something like that. So we're all sitting there for like probably like two, three hours. I'm convinced I'm going to jail that night. We're trying to set up. Of course, by the way, they let the two girls, like the two of our girls, 
who are like still good friends to this day uh, in our group, they let them go to the kitchen and just sit there and not handcuff them on the ground. Very sexist they were. I was about to say, wow, sexism too. Big time. Because they couldn't have been doing anything, of course. And the entire time I'm thinking to myself, like, what did I do wrong here? Because they could breathalyze me and I'd blow 0.00. But then you quickly realize, oh, these guys don't care about a few Miller lights. That is not what they are here to do. We find out in the midst of sitting in this hallway at the apartment where there's this bus that's going on, that these this narcotics unit had staked out this house for weeks and weeks. And they were thinking there, there are some hardcore drugs being passed around. They probably saw me walk into that apartment a, a couple, like two different times. They were very upset to find out that the people living in this apartment had in their in their possession that they ransacked maybe $300 worth of weed in total and like a couple small paraphernalia things. Buddy, when I say that is not worth their time, that is not worth their time. And it actually makes it that much worse because you see how pissed off they are getting. And that was the lesson that I learned that day was, oh my God, this is terrifying, but it's becoming more terrifying because these people in this apartment aren't who they thought they were. They thought they were making a big time bust and they were going to go back and tell their bosses, look what I did. I busted this dealer and this dealer and this is what happened. No, 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 no. They did not get that. And I had one of these guys put a knife to my throat which was super illegal. And I should have pressed action, but I didn't want to tell my parents about this. I told them like six or seven years later, had this guy put a knife to my throat. And he's, ever, he's like, you ever seen a dead body before? And I was like, that's not chill. That's not okay. So anyway, long story short, they after they like check all of us, they end up letting all of us go without so much as like, a, hey, this is going on your record or anything like that. But like we were... You know, like the, the girls in our group were calling up our other buddy to see if he could, you know, get some money together in case we had to go to jail or something. It was scary as hell. It was so scary. But what I realized that day as a 19-year-old idiot who was just trying to drink a couple of beers was, buddy, you better know every single time you are going into someone else's house. And if you're doing something that's against the law, which, you know, that, that technically is, you better know who it is. And you better be able to vouch for that person. Like know the, know the person's house that you're going into every single time. If you're not of age, cause you'll go to some random house parties in college, maybe in college it's, it's different in that regard. And I didn't always abide by that. But when you're just like out on your own and you're like in the suburbs kind of doing your thing, man, it can get hairy in a hurry. And that night scared the crap out of me. And it kind of whipped me into shape a little bit. Makes you realize you got to be a little bit more selective and you can't just go after the first place where you can get some alcohol. The amount of times that in our friendship you've surprised me has been so few. This is like that meme of Shaq where it's like, I owe you an apology. I was not familiar with your game. <laughs> this is the craziest story we might have between us. Dude, it was I- nuts. <laughs> the SWAT team held a knife to your throat and asked you if you had seen a dead body. I, you could ask my buddies about it to this day. They because they were all there. They all saw this happen, and I'm like, "What? What is going on? What? Where? What did I do to get myself in this spot?" And you're like, "Yeah, okay, technically, I'm doing something illegal here, and I get it. I'm in an apartment where there's weed. 
All right. I get it. This is 2009. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different the way that we talk about this now. And especially in the state of Illinois where it's legal. That's the funny thing about all this. But yep. like to think I experienced that for what I thought was getting in, what I thought was getting into, it was a wake up call. It was a big time wake up call. It was sorry, Nate Oates. This was actually wrong place, wrong time. This was that. Okay. That is, yeah, no, that's crazy. The fact that you, functionally got away with it is the craziest part of the story the yeah. fact that you were just able to go home you weren't hammered or anything because you had like two beers no i had just... nothing had nothing that entire you night didn't drink... oh my god it was so early in the night will we hadn't even started that process they were like waiting for other people to come and then like mm-hmm. eventually we we're gonna play beer pong but it was in that like early stage where the people at the, at the apartment were just like sitting there playing video games and there was nothing going on, but because they saw a couple of people that, that weren't regulars there, like going in and they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's like seven or eight people here or something. Or maybe it was a little, it was probably a little bit more at that point. That's when they said, now is when we pounce. Now is when we getting, we're going to get them when they're not expecting this. It, th- watching that door get kicked open, man. And they throw your cell phone, like to the other side of the room. It was Dude, it was sketchy. It was a bizarre experience to say the least. So just a couple of quick. First off, my buddy has a similar like a, like he did the Grandpa Simpson at like the big party that I threw. Like he walked in, didn't even get a beer, and then the police are there. And he's like, no, that's the worst part. But yeah, so let me just ask you, like, describe your process of going to sleep that night. Way too wired, man. Way too wired. Because when you come home, and your parents say, "What'd you do last night? Like, what are you up to?" I am in no position whatsoever to say what I did that night. Like, so you're not hammered, but your parents are there. So you walk at the door and you're like, hi, I'm going to go to sleep. That's a good question. You know what? Actually, no, here's yes and no. My parents were the type of parents that they would pass out in the family room. And then when I came home and I think, I don't know, I remember what my curfew was at that time. It was it was probably later than what I remember. I always remember it being like 11 or maybe when I was in college, it was midnight or something like that. But they were the type of parents that very, very rarely were they ever asleep in their bed when I got home. They were usually asleep in the family room and I would pass by them and say, hey, I'm going to bed or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they would go up. But that was kind of their cue. And they could sleep in the in the family room for like an hour and a half, just not be woken at all whatsoever. So no, I didn't really have to do any explaining. And it was like, I woke up hung over the next morning. We kind of all made a pact, my friends and I, and, and if you've ever been in a situation like this, where you experience some stuff with your friends, that's not even real stuff, but it's, it, it's like bordering, it's like bordering on stuff yeah. where you kind of make a pact. Hey, let's not talk about this in front of each other's, each other's parents. We're not going to do that. And let's kind of agree that we're only going to talk about this amongst friends and amongst mm-hmm. each other until the time is right until the statute of limitations is up. So, hey, it might have been, spin zone might have been a good night because it got your life back in order and it got your friends really close because you guys knew no matter what happened, if you crossed each other, you couldn't, <laughs> you had a secret you had to share. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that. And Rosilla talks about this all the time. Like you, you get a lot tighter with your buddies when you do stupid stuff. You yep. do. You just got to do the stupid stuff that doesn't get you in any sort of serious trouble or anything like that. That's the type of story that, yeah, look, we're not, we're not bringing that up at a job interview. That's, that, that's not going to get mentioned anytime soon, but then you kind of look back on it and you're like, wait a minute, was I, was what I did that wrong in terms of like the confines of the night? No, but my decision process to get to that place, 
that was the problem. That was the, what was I thinking moment of I'm 19 and just trying to be able to drink some beers. Why was I, why did I put myself in this position? That was really dumb. Be smarter, Connor. And I'm, this is my final thought of this. The, the mental, the concept of them searching like every cabinet, like ripping open everything, like a drug bust. And they're only just finding like some mid weed oh, from like college kids. And then you're seeing mentally like the paperwork in their minds, like pile up. And they're just like, oh God, I'm gonna have to justify this raid because I only got weed. And I could have just arrested this kid earlier today. And I would have the same weed. Terrible. I mean, I I, I would have loved, especially after how those how those guys treated us. I would have loved to have heard that conversation when they went back to their boss and they told them how much time and money that they had wasted by staking out that apartment and what that looks like. Because yeah, like, okay, cool. You popped a couple of kids for like paraphernalia in the grand scheme of things. That's not moving your needle. That's not. Yep. You, you, speak. What was I thinking? What were they thinking? Maybe no, that's, sure. that's a what was I thinking moment for the cops. I saw something on, uh, I think it was Barstool the other day. And this guy, it was like one of those man on the street interviews. And they were like, yo, like, what do you, like, they was like, oh, what's in your bank account? And this dude's like, oh, $1.2 million. And he was like 19. And it was like, what? And it's like, oh, yeah. I was driving home. I was a DD from a party. And uh, the cop pulled me over and tried to frame me for being drunk, but I did a breathalyzer test and he lied about it. And then I took him to court and I got a settlement. So now I have like a trust fund because I sued the police. And like, that's what was going through the thing about the cops. Is if they had arrested you guys, you probably could have sued them and been like, hey, I have 10 witnesses that I was sober. You guys didn't breathalyze me. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just at a guy's house where we thought there might've been some drinking. And so like, yeah, that's probably why they ended up letting you guys go. Cause they were just like, yeah, this goes to court. Like we're good. And you stuck a knife to my throat, guy. Exactly. Literally. Like, it's like they committed crimes. You really kind of didn't if you didn't drink. My buddies always tell me, like, you could have made some serious money off that, but the, the legal hassle would would not have been worth it. Didn't want to didn't want to go down that road at that point in my life. Just wanted things to be normal and wanted to be anywhere other than in that hallway, handcuffed, having to figure out what exactly is going to be next. But yes. Okay. You start, start off that segment with a bang. Yeah, seriously. You, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had to get you hooked. Had to get the people hooked. Had to bring them in. I don't tell that story very often, but now you know. Um, okay, if you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SES Pod, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name right on there with figuring out what Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.